Walsh and Adam Wilde, Agent Provocateur. You're, you're so far away. I gotta move these a little bit closer here. I know, you kind of sink into this chair. <laughs> you do, yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, hi everybody. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Uh, by the way, I want to thank the Steve and Jesse podcast for their hour-long intro. Oh my God. Standing backstage going, are we ever going out there or what? I was ready to have another coffee. Yeah, me too, me too. So ladies and gentlemen, the Alan Walsh is here. Noted agent, Alan Walsh. And it's no, uh, I, I don't think it's any sort of um, secret. I'm sure you guys heard that Gary Bettman had a press conference before this. So our, so our- No, 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 no. No, no, no. No booing Gary right now. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, but I also want to say that uh, we're going to try to make this press conference a little bit more notorious. So we're going to have some fun today. Um, today, the way we're going to work this, and this goes throughout all the shows, guys. We want to make sure that if you like something, we want to hear it. If you don't like it, I heard some little boos. The boos were not good enough. So, so, so let's, let's, first, let's start with the positive. Give me a yeah. Give me a cheer. Give me something. Okay, if you like it, I want to cheer. I want you to cheer like that. If you don't like it, what are you going to do? That's right. That's right. That's right. So listen, um, Alan, we've had some huge, huge announcements today. We got the Four Nations Cup. Yep. There are only four countries that play hockey, so that's convenient. Um, then we got the Olympics in 28, we think. The Olympics in 32, we think. O Olympics in 26 and 30. Oh, 26 and 30. Yeah. World Cup 28, 32. 25. 25. Yeah. So th this, is, this is where it gets really difficult. Yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts on starting with the four nations. Uh, Canada, United States, Sweden, Finland. Obviously, it doesn't feel like enough. What do you think about it? What's the feedback you're getting? Well, it's, it's World Cup light. And uh, I understand all of the logistics and, and issues in putting on a World Cup. Uh, there's a lot of positives. They're shutting down finally in the middle of the season as opposed to doing it in August, September. Uh, so you're going to have uh, it, it going on in a traditional time when people are excited about hockey and watching hockey. You've got Boston and Montreal as the two host cities for this. Uh, and that was announced today. Uh, so Montreal, great city to host something like that. I'm surprised Toronto is not involved. Uh, as and that's a, coming from a Montrealer, by the way. Yeah. Just I, want to say. <laughs> and, and I'm a little surprised New York City is not going to host at least a couple of games but they decided on those two locations, that's great. Um, the big issue is going to be, you know, with, without doing Germany and Czech Republic or a Team Europe where they're all involved together, no Leon Dreisaitl, no Tim, no Tim Stutzle, yeah, no JJ Paterka. That better be the biggest boo, he's a noted client. <laughs> yeah, so far they're all Octagon clients. No Philip Aronic. And, and, you know, I, I've messages today from uh, some of these players and others 
saying, you, you, you know, they're not happy about being excluded and it being only four teams. So I understand um, why they're sticking to just the four teams, uh, but at the end of the day, it would not have been um, uh, inconceivable to, to, to take it to, you know, five or six teams and expand it out a little bit. Well, I think any tournament without Leon Dreisaitl, you know, that's a big marquee name, right? Um, so, you know, with everything going on in terms of the all-star festivities and that sort of thing, this was the perfect time to make announcements like this for the NHL. As far as the Olympics, what, what was it that now it's like, okay, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do the World Cup. Now we're going to do the Olympics. What changed? Why couldn't we get this, you know, two years ago, four years ago, six years ago? Great question. You're asking the wrong guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can tell you my, my, my feeling on that. Uh, there are a number of owners who do not like shutting down in the middle of the season. They don't directly financially benefit in their eyes. Very short-sighted thinking. Um, they're not thinking about growing the game they're very happy with the 50-50 split of HRR right now. They're very happy with the amount of money they're making. They're very happy with their franchise values exploding. And it's their players. They pay those players a lot of money. They're going to shut down. They're going to shut down for three weeks. And players are going to go off to Europe and play or off to Asia and play as they did previously in a time zone not conducive to watching games in North America. They're like, uh-uh, we're out, all right? Uh, they don't get paid. They had a big issue in the fact that the IOC has been unwilling to um, give the NHL access to highlights, video clips of games during the Olympics. So imagine Team Canada Sidney Crosby scores a goal in overtime in the Olympics, and the NHL cannot post that clip on the NHL.com website. IOC owns it. They are um, fanatical about protecting their IP, their intellectual property rights, and they will not allow the NHL to use any footage, any highlights that are going on during the tournament. And, you know, the NHL has a big problem with that. Well, so do you think they've solved that problem or is that still all to be worked out? That's, there's still a number of issues that need to be worked out. The big issues, the stumbling blocks in the past where you didn't even get to the other issues was insurance. Uh, the insurance is uh, around 10 to $15 million. Every single player participating in the Olympics has to have their NHL contract insured in case of injury all the way up to career-ending injury. The IIHF has steadfastly refused to pay the freight on that. Uh, they now have acquiesced and they've agreed to pay it, pay it all. Uh, then there's, That's big. That's then big. There's, then there's travel expenses. You need to charter uh, planes to get the players. Um, with Sochi, there were two planes in Newark. Everybody flew. We all flew to Newark. Um, every player was allowed uh, family and one guest on the, on the charter, and off we went to Sochi. Um, I, the, the, the flights cost, you know, a, a million dollars to, to do all of that. And, and the IHF is now paying 
all travel expenses. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty significant. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned a. Oh, my mic cut out. First, the first Olympic game I watched with NHL players in it was in Asia. It was in Japan. Right. And I remember it was 1998. I was 10 years old. Nagano. Because I'm old now. Um, and, and I can remember getting up for, I think it was 4 a.m. was when it started. And I think yeah. by the second period, I fell asleep because I, I couldn't keep it up. But uh, I, it's, it's such an exciting thing. It's, I know it's not conducive to audiences, but it does feel like you guys all here would get up and watch a game no matter what time it was, right? That's what I thought. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see them at least moving forward on that because what's been suffering are the people like us. We're the outsiders. We don't know about rights. We don't know about insurance. We don't know about flight costs. We know we want to watch the game and we know we want to watch international best on best. And I'm wondering, uh, are, the, are the players looking at this and going, finally, some progress? Are they happy with these announcements today, do you think, on the whole? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll share something with you. Um, you talked about Nagano and, uh, or Nagano. Uh, Czech Republic won the gold medal. Yes. At, the, at that. I remember and, that. And, and I was in Old Town Square in Prague when the Czech team arrived um, at the Prague airport from Japan and they were put on buses and brought straight into Old Town Square with this incredible celebration going on. There were about 250,000 people jammed into the square. And, and it was, people were crying, people were drunk, people were <laughs> celebrating. Um, uh, I'll never forget, they had this big platform built. They had these the long desks and the players came out of the bus, climbed up onto this platform, and were sitting down at the desk. And Ivan Holinka, who, who's no longer with us, he died, died tragically in a car accident, um, was the head coach of the Czech team. He was swaying back and forth, and then ultimately just passed out right on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be the first time that I remember that game, and I don't know, do you guys remember Canada versus the Czech Republic in that semifinal game? Do you guys all remember that? The, uh, the shootout? I don't know. That was the first time that Dominic Hasek made me cry. The second time was a year later when I think the Leafs were in the Eastern Conference Finals against Buffalo, and he just shut them down. Yep. Uh, they snuck in somehow. You got, do you guys remember that? Yeah, that was, boy, I can remember sobbing in front of my television. I don't think my parents knew what to do with me. Um, There's uh, a bunch of people who are going to go to YouTube right when we're done. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, Alan, you know, one of the things that, that I love about doing this show with Alan is his storytelling. And sometimes, and this stuff never makes the camera, but afterwards, we'll sit around for sometimes 30, sometimes 40 minutes, and Alan will be like, that just reminds me, and he'll tell, tell you a story, and you go, Wow. Oh my God, Jesse and I are just sitting there like, really? Facet this is crazy. And so, Alan, I, I, I wanted to see if you would do a little story time with us today. Do you guys want to hear an Alan Walsh story? Yeah, yeah, you do. Now, Alan, is there a story that you can talk about, maybe not name any names, that with us and this audience and, and the internet, but who cares, we'll ignore them, are we able to Here's something you've never shared publicly before. One of your Alan Walsh, you, I mean, one day you're going to write a book and it's going to be unbelievable, but do you have a story for us you've never said anywhere before? Wow. Can we put you on the spot? 
Okay. Um, I have one story that I have never, ever told before. And uh, I need everyone here to raise their, their hand. Okay. I swear. I swear. To never repeat this story. To never repeat this story. After hearing it today. After hearing it today. Okay, we're good. We're all okay, good. Okay, all here. right, everybody. Well done. We're holding all you right. to this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How bad is this story, by the way? Okay. Oh, all right, here it goes. I represented a player who was drafted very high in the NHL draft. And uh, after being drafted, he went and played a year. And... Uh, uh, after one year, I approached the team that drafted him, and I said, hey, he's very high pick. Uh, almost everybody from his draft class has already signed an NHL entry-level contract, and we want to sign. And full disclosure, um, you know, the family was having some financial issues, and this was going to be, you know, the signing bonus at the time was probably capped at, uh, I hate that word, capped at uh, 82,500. Um, but for, for you know, this player and his family, it was a game changer. And I explained that to the team. And the team said that they would get back to me. And again, he's one of the only players in that range not signed. And he's played at a very high level after being drafted. Like his draft position, if anything, would be even higher based on the season that he had. And the team came back and said, you know, um, our, our owner just uh, doesn't want to commit that kind of money to the player right now. We're going to wait another year. It's like, that kind of money? It's an NHL entry-level contract, two-way. And what? He's like, well, we're going to wait. We're going to wait another year. I'm like, okay. We wait a year, and uh, the player's not happy. The family's not happy. And uh, uh, the GM calls me, the deadline to sign that contract or the player goes back into the draft is June 1. I don't hear from the team. We're now in, in early May. And the GM calls me one day and he says, oh, hey, you know what? We never signed this player. We got to get something going. Um, I'll send you, you know, something and let's, let's get this done ASAP. I'm like, hold on a second. What makes you think the player wants to sign with you right now? Is it June 1, he goes back into the draft? He's going to get drafted higher even than where he was originally drafted. Well, Alan, like, uh, we, 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 we have to get him signed. I was like, well, he may not want to sign with you. So uh, the GM ended up arranging a phone call with the parents and with the player, a conference call. This is way before Zoom. And uh, the GM, you know, we're, we're a first-class organization and we really want you and you have a great chance to play in the NHL next year. And the father then responded and said, uh, we are very unhappy that you didn't sign my son last year, and we have decided my son is going back into the draft. We want nothing further to do with you people. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening and I'm like, whoo, 
So that wasn't, just so I can say, that was not planned. That was not planned. Because it would have been good plan. It, I, I actually complimented them when we got off the phone and said, I wish I had told you to say that, but it was beautiful. I want to cry. And um, uh, the GM calls me and he's now, oh my God, Alan, like my owner is freaking out. We have to do this. I said, well, you should have told your owner to sign him last year. Yeah, I, I, it's water under the bridge. We messed up. We apologize. I need your help. I need your, you've got to help us here. And, and this is going on back and forth day to day to day to day. And we're now 48 hours before June 1. And I said, uh, you know what? It ain't happening. The family has made their decision. The player, we got 48 hours ago, we've come all this way. You lost him. You lost him. And the GM says, like, I, I, I'm going to get fired. We have to do something. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I have an idea. You get on the phone with me, the player, and the parents, and you promise, you guarantee that the player is playing in the NHL on your team next season. And I don't know what they're going to say. I have no idea. But I'm going to recommend they take the deal. Oh, Alan, like I, you know, he's, a, he's a great player. He's going to be a fabulous NHL player. But yeah, he, he's 19. I, I, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, I accept your decision. You know, no problem. See you later. And I got off the phone. He calls me back in about a half an hour. Okay, okay, we have a deal. I'm ready to promise. I'm ready to guarantee. He is in the NHL all year. So I want to be clear. He's getting a place to live before camp. He is on your NHL team. He is not going down. Now I'm pushing it. He is not going down to the American League to play one game all year. <laughs> yes, yes, Alan, I agree, I agree, I agree, anything. I just gotta get this kid signed. So we get everybody back on the phone and the general manager says, I, I, I've had conversations with Alan. I, I just, I wanna apologize again for everything that happened. I guarantee and I promise that, that that your son is playing on my NHL team next year, and, 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 and he will not be going to the American League uh, uh, under any circumstances at all. He is in the NHL. I give my word. And the father said, I'm going to talk to my son. I'm going to talk with Alan, and Alan will call you back. And the father called me and he said, okay, uh, this, if, if we go back into the draft to get drafted by a team, there's no guarantee. I now have a guarantee that my son is playing in the NHL. Alan, get that contract, nail it down. I'm ready to sign it. Fabulous. We have a deal. So we signed the contract. Now the player goes into training camp and he's actually having a fantastic camp. And he's playing NHL preseason games. He's on the power play. He's doing really well. Uh, the coach of this team is still coaching as a head coach in the NHL. The GM 
who is unnamed, uh, is right now still involved in the NHL. And, you know, for those that don't know, I, I'm Jewish, and it was a high holiday, high holiday of Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish New Year. And like every good Jew, I'm at Temple with my wife and my two young kids, and I am committing the biggest sin of all by pulling out my phone every time it vibrates and reading the messages, because it's a terrible time of year. Every year, the holidays is always during training camp. I got sent down, I'm not happy. Call me immediately, urgent, 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 and it comes in every day. So I, I, I look and it's, I got a message from the player. I've just been sent down. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I said, I am so sorry, but I got to go outside. And I walk outside and the temple we belong to is one of the largest temples in the United States. There's 5,000 families. And we wa I walked into the parking lot and it was a, a fact I haven't mentioned on that day. It was 105 degrees in LA, and I'm wearing a suit and tie. It's like a sauna standing outside for more than 10 seconds. I grab my phone, I'm in the parking lot, and the player answers, and I said, I can't fucking believe it! I can't fucking believe it! He's like, I'm like, what did he tell you? He told me I had a really good camp, but they just have too many players, and it's a numbers game, and he's gonna try to do something, but you know, I could be there for a couple of months, I could be there all year. I'm like, don't move. Don't go anywhere, don't move. And I call the GM, and he answers. And he says, a a Alan, I, I, I was just about to call you. Right? We believe him, for sure we believe him. <laughs> this, this player, he's had a tremendous camp. I'm so proud of him. I am so proud of him. He was fantastic. But listen, I, I, need, I need a little bit of help here. Uh, I just got too many players. It's a 23-man roster issue. He's a guy I could send down, doesn't need waivers. You know, I, I, I didn't forget my promise. You know, the, the, he, he's gonna come up at some point. Maybe he plays five or 10 games this season up. You know, maybe he plays 15. Boy, that would be great. Wouldn't that be great if he plays 15 <laughs> games? And, and I, I just, I, I need you to work with me here. And I said, are you done? And he said, yes. And, and it, I have sweat pouring off of me, standing outside, and there's little old ladies walking by me. And I was like, you, you fucker. Let me, let me tell you something. I am physically restraining my client from getting on a plane and going anywhere related to the American Hockey League. 
You are a fucking liar. You're a fucking liar. And you know what I'm doing? I am calling a press conference in front of your building tomorrow, and I am standing at the microphones live on Sportsnet, TSN, ESPN, and I'm telling the world, you're a fucking liar, liar, liar. And all those little old ladies are walking by at the same time. <laughs> and the little old ladies heard me using some not so nice language. And one of them actually went into the temple and told my wife. <laughs> Your husband is in the parking lot screaming, fucking liar, really loud like a sociopath. Um, you've got to do something. He and, and, and my wife is sitting there, apparently, and she's got smoke coming out of her ears, and uh, rightly so. And uh, the GM says to me, Alan, don't do anything. Don't call anybody. Just give me 10 minutes. And I'm pacing back and forth. I, I am completely drenched. It looks like I came out of a shower. And but 10 minutes later, my client calls me. Uh, I've been told that I'm staying here and I now need to meet the team. Because the team was flying out to play their first game of the season. The plane was literally sitting on the runway. So they stopped the plane, they opened the doors. The team had already sent out a press release that the player was sent down right, to get to the 23-man limit. And the team is sitting on the, on the runway with the open doors, and it's sweltering inside that plane. Um, and the player has no car. He takes a taxi to the plane. And when he gets to the plane, he comes up the stairs, goes into the cockpit area, and he goes, um, all of my equipment is at the rink. And they're like, you don't have your equipment? The GM tells the equipment managers, get in the car, drive back to the rink, and go get his equipment. We'll, we're waiting. They sat there for an hour, and I had a few clients on the plane who were now up to speed with some text messages from me as to what was going on. Everyone on that team knew what had transpired. And uh, the equipment comes, uh, they shut the doors, they take off. He spent the whole year in the NHL. He never played a game in the American Hockey League. He uh, almost had, he had uh, 18, 19, 20 goals his rookie season in the NHL. And I've never told that story until today. How about that, huh? Wow. Great story. And this is what it's like, by the way, when, when Jesse and I record, because you don't see Jesse on the screen, uh, but when we do these recordings, it's what it's like. We do the show, and then we get the after show. And the after show, sometimes you just, you cannot 
imagine some of the stories. The NHL is a wild place. Now, Maddie, are you around here somewhere, Maddie? Okay, so Maddie's gonna, if you guys have any questions for the noted agent, Alan Walsh, uh, Maddie's gonna come up and talk to you over the next little bit here. And, and uh, But I wanna just say this. While Maddie's doing that, you go around and anybody that's got their hand up, you can go talk to them, Maddie. But um, I wanna say this. Sitting here on this stage with Alan Walsh telling that story, I just want you guys to, to understand this. I called him two and a half years ago because Chris Johnson was at the Stanley Cup final. In Tampa. In Tampa. He happened to be passing Alan in a hallway and he knew that I had seen Alan several times on Tim and Sid, Long May They Rest, love that show. Yeah. And, and I, saw, I saw Alan's, one of his hits and I said, this guy, wouldn't it be great to do a show with this guy? There's something about this guy. And Chris said, listen, I'm gonna give you his phone number. He says it's okay to call him. And so I hummed and hawed for a few weeks about it. And my wife, who Alan just met today, who's here, she said, why don't you just sit down and F and call him, all right? Stop, talk, just, stop talking to me about it. I don't wanna hear it anymore. So I call it, Alan picks up, and I, no joke, doesn't know me from Adam, literally, and gives me an hour and a half of his time on the first phone call. And, and by the way, there was another network that was very interested in doing a show with him, and he chose SDPN. And it gives me goosebumps to think about because what he said to me at the time was, well, who the hell wants to, who wants to hear what I have to say? I can, I'm not that interesting. I don't have 10 episodes, 20 episodes of things to say, and I think we just crossed 60. So, Alan. So thank you for choosing SDPN, for giving us your talents and your stories like this. It's so spectacular to work with you every single day that we get to, uh, and I know you're a busy guy, so thank you for being here as well because it was awesome to have you here. Well, it, it's a privilege for me to be part of the SDPN family. Uh, you're not just a co-host and the other guys, Steve, Jesse, are not just people that I work with now, you guys have become really good friends, and uh, uh, you've made a big difference in my life, your friendship, and that's more important than anything. So it's me who should be thanking you and the rest of the guys for bringing me into your family. Thank you, Alan, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Maddie, who's our first question from? Who do we have here? Here we have Lucas. Okay, Lucas, talk right into that microphone, sir. What's the question for Alan? Hey, Alan. Um, so my question is, with the recent trade between the Canucks and the uh, Flames, uh, with, the, with the Canucks uh, giving up so much, it really looks like they might want to re-sign Lindholm because they gave up five assets. Oh. With you knowing that, okay, if they re-sign Lindholm, they have to re-sign Pedersen, is there a, enough of the piece of the pie for Philip Ronick? Have you ever, have you given any thought to that or do you give any thought to situations like that with any of your clients? So... The, the managing of the, of the cap, it's a great question, by the way, Lucas. The managing of the cap, I mean, I am always aware of what's available into next season if I'm negotiating a deal. But at any time, the entire equation can change with a trade. And uh, many teams that are up against the cap and it, with a flat cap, going on four years in the last couple of years, um, we've seen teams make deals space. 
That's a Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin issue. And they're very good at what they do. It's their deal to manage their cap. And I really can't consider in entering into any kind of negotiation how much cap space they have. You know, it's up to them to allocate it as they see fit. And uh, I just know that whether a team is flush with cap space or not flush with cap space or up against the cap, uh, it doesn't really change my approach. I'm never going to sit with a client and say, okay, like they don't have the money to sign you, so let's come in much lower than your expectations to be, to, to stay here. I, I don't have those conversations. Yeah, someone else's problem. By the way, I, I feel like Quinn Hughes might have something to say because that seems to be a pretty good defense pairing. <laughs> it's going pretty well, huh? The dynamic duo. Yeah. Uh, Maddie, Batman, where are you now? Batman and Robin. <laughs> All right, we're over to Cam now. Okay, Cam, remember to speak right into the mic, buddy. Yes, uh, thanks, Alan. You said earlier you hate the word cap. So do all Leaf fans. <laughs> so, uh, who, who wants to get rid of the NHL salary cap? Uh, so my question to you would be, when we're talking about the salary cap, if the salary cap was invented to create parity in the league, I, do you think that there should be some sort of implications with tax implications? Do you think it's fair that a team like Dallas or Florida or Tampa can offer a higher salary, especially to like a low budget player where those tax implications really matter? Do you think that that should be taken into consideration when it comes to cap and also get rid of the cap? <laughs> Great question. Amen. I like your style. So, so in my opinion, I have long advocated for a luxury tax. I advocated it all the way back to 2004, 2005, when the NHLPA was offering a luxury tax in lieu of a hard, triple hard cap. It was no go from Gary, he wanted that triple hard cap. But keep this in mind. <laughs> keep this in mind. Every single NHL owner today is a multi-billionaire whose primary businesses are not related to hockey, right? Everyone, that is a lot different than the way ownership was comprised in the 1990s when there were who were not multi-billionaires and we had franchises that had to relocate. Um, we had owners that were losing money year over year and they could not keep up. They couldn't keep up the cash burn every year and they had to sell, okay? That doesn't happen anymore for the most part, right? It just doesn't happen anymore. And the other equation everybody has to keep in mind is franchise values have exploded. So if you go look through the 32 NHL teams, what the franchise, the current ownership, bought the team for, and what that franchise is worth today, you may have situations where teams are losing 10, 
12, 15 million dollars on paper. But in reality, they are going to sell at a tremendous profit and pay a capital gains tax of 15% on that profit. It is the best deal going. If you have a billion dollars, the best investment you could possibly make is by a professional sports team. Just ask any owner, right? But you put a luxury tax into the NHL, and for me, it will be a game changer. It will be a game changer, because what we see now is teams that have been built, built to win, and they need one more player. And they have ownership willing to go into that area of another five or six million dollars to put them over the top as they see it, and they can't do it. And I think that's just wrong. Where are you, Maddie? All right, next right. up we have Soraya. Hey, Soraya. Hi. Um... I know you represent a lot of clients, but uh, Mark Andre Ferry is my favorite player. So <laughs> he's one of my favorites too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have a question. Um, do you have any funny stories related to him? He's a prankster, and like he's a really nice guy on TV and on the uh, videos that we do see him of him. And has he ever tried to prank you? What's <laughs> <laughs> good? Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has pranked me several times. Uh, I'm one of his victims, um, big and small. Uh, he is, as, as much as you are exposed to him through the media or through interviews or through what players say about him, one of the great, great blessings in my life has been to work with him since he was 15 years old until today he's 39 years of age. Um, he is a wonderful, warm, generous human being, uh, an incredibly devoted family man. Uh, many people don't know this, but he met his wife when he was eight or nine years old, and they grew up uh, next, literally next door to each other. And uh, when he was around 15 years of age, he had a high school dance and he wanted to ask his wife, Vero, to be his date to the dance, but he didn't have the nerve to go do it. He was too, too shy to ask her out. So he asked his sister to ask her. <laughs> so it was his sister who went to Vero and said, Mark would like you to be his date for the for the day tonight, and he agreed, and, and she agreed to go with him. Um, uh, I was doing an interview uh, one time uh, with TSN uh, at the Octagon summer hockey camp we were doing in Montreal, and Mark had come off the ice, and I'm standing in front of the camera, and there's a reporter with the microphone out, and I'm talking, and Mark would run by and knock over a bunch of chairs and there'd be a bunch of loud booms. So she, the reporter was like, okay, um, let me ask the question again. And Mark was like kind of hiding uh, in the back and asked the question again and I'm answering the question on camera and Mark runs by again and knocks over all the chairs, boom, 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 boom. 
And, uh, and I looked over at him and he kind of smiled. And I'm like, are, are, are you done? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. I was like, okay. They start, we start again, asking the same question again. And big smile on his face, he comes sprinting by and knocks over all the chairs. Yeah. Uh, Maddie, where are you? Where are you now? I'm up here now. Okay. I'm, all trying, right, to, I'm trying to get all the areas go, covered. By the way, this is Maddie who does the SDP. So when you hear, when you hear Mad Dog Maddie, that's her. You guys, uh, stop it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> who are we talking to, Maddie? All right, we're talking to Nick. He looks like an Oilers fan. Oh, let's not. It's All-Star. Welcome him to the city. Come on. I mean, I live across the street, so thank oh, you. Okay. All right, well, fair enough. Uh, shout out Seaweed Mad, Adam. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's up, fellas? Thanks for doing this. Alan, I was kind of curious. When a team and a player agree to trade that player to another team, how does that, like, work? Does that player and their agent make, like, cold calls? How does the negotiation process work if there's a sign-and-trade in place? What does that scenario kind of look like? Now, are you talking about waiving a no trade, or are you just talking about a trade in general? Kind of in general. You okay. know, player will say Nick, for example, and Edmonton want to trade. How, like, do I make a cold call to a th another train say, team saying I'm on the market? And then what is, like, a sign and trade kind of work? How do you negotiate that, especially when a season's going on? Uh, that's a great question, and it's something that comes up uh, very often. Uh, agents and players are prohibited to have any contact with any other NHL teams while they are under contract to a team. So if I represent a player on the Edmonton Oilers and I know the team is shopping him and I know they want to trade him, I cannot, within the rules, speak to another GM about that player. It's tampering. And uh, that GM, if the GM calls me to talk about a player on another team, is subjecting himself and his organization to massive fines and probably loss of uh, draft picks. Now, there are some situations where a GM has called me and said, we want to move your player, we want to work with you, I give you permission to talk to other teams. And I usually, uh, almost always, will want to memorialize that in an email or a text message, even as simple as, um, hey, great talking to you today, just confirming our conversation, even in a text message, just confirming our conversation that I'm allowed to speak to other teams about player X. And uh, just having that as a safety net in case there is some sort of allegation in the future that you spoke to somebody without permission, you've got that there. What blew my mind, and I'm going to add on to that question, is one of our episodes we were talking about that. We were talking about agents facilitating trades. And, and you kind of said that, that and, and I think you said it because you felt it was common knowledge, but I don't think the average fan knows. Sometimes there's GMs that don't talk to each other. And so sometimes it's the agent calls the team and says, I think he might be a good fit there. You guys should probably chat. And a lot of the times GMs don't have time or they don't have the relationship to call the other 31 GMs. It might be five or six that they talk to. Is that fair? Is that a fair summation of it? Uh, I think th they would talk to more, but, but the way it really works is every GM has a, a, a tighter network of guys, G other GMs, 
that they talk to on a daily basis and they share information with each other. And uh, if you've been around a while, you know who is connected to who. Maybe they previously worked together in, an, in a previous organization as GM, assistant GM. Um, if you look at, uh, just to give you a quick example, Steve Iserman, who was a guest on our podcast. A spectacular guest. Uh, GM of the Detroit Red Wings, used to be GM of Tampa. Uh, his two assistant GM, uh, Julian Brisebois and uh, Pat Verbeek, both of them now GMs of different teams. There's, it's not hard to connect the dots of who talks to who. Look at Olympics, Steve Iserman and Doug Armstrong working together for Team Canada, several Olympics. Um, you can, you, you, so that's sort of a, a network of people who all trust each other. They've worked together before, they've won together before, and, and they will uh, expect they talk to each other often about, uh, you know, comparing notes about what they hear. And there's several other groups like that around the GM community. And that's really how they keep each other updated. It's not just talking to 32, 31 other GMs. Yeah, they talk to a lot of people. There's, they have better relationships and, and relationships of trust with some over others. There are some GMs who will not talk or very rarely talk to other GMs. Lou Lamarillo. Prior bad experience. Lou actually is a sweetheart. Oh, I've heard he's and, a really great guy. And, he's just not and, a talker. Well, At least not to the media. No, no, but, but, but you know, Lou, Lou, Lou's probably one of the most universally respected people out there. I mean, from other GMs to agents to players, I mean, Lou stands for what he stands for. And he, he's very forthright and honest with this is who I am and these are my beliefs. And you don't have to agree with him. I've always loved dealing with Lou, working with Lou, and we've always had a great relationship. He's one of the most fascinating people I've ever encountered in the hockey industry. And if you ever have a chance to sit down, and I've had many lunches with him, and, and you know, hundreds if not thousands of conversations over 30 years, um, he's, he's one of my favorite people. That's awesome. Well, listen, we're going to wrap it up there. And I just want to say Alan Walsh flew up to be here with you today. So big round of applause for Alan. And thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. Uh, get your orders in now because Chris Johnson and Julian McKenzie are up next. Thank you.